we kind of foresee a future where anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So we can sort of imagine a future. There will be millions of tokens representing anything and everything that we can sort of imagine in the world. Sort of imagine blockchain technology is going to be the same case as well in the future. Just like how internet powers every application right now, the tech sector is kind of a misnomer because every company is a tech company these days. Same thing will happen as well. Blockchain technology will power anything, everything on the underlying layer for applications in the future. People will be using blockchain without even realizing it. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Bobby, co-founder and COO at CoinGecko. I got my green on because we're talking everything CoinGecko today. So how you doing, Bobby? I'm very good. How's it going for you? It is good. I'm looking forward to this conversation and kind of talking more about data. I think that's a, a conversation that I don't often get to have in like the Web3 space. So I think you are a good expert in the field to have that convo with. Yeah, I mean, happy to talk about data and uh, thanks a lot for having me here on the podcast. For sure. Well, let's just dive right on into it. I've been familiar with CoinGecko for years now, really as from the beginning of my investment journey. I've always used CoinGecko as kind of checking the price on different tokens and whatnot. But for anyone who's not familiar, I mean, can you give us a breakdown of what is CoinGecko, what you all do, and what it means to be an independent cryptocurrency data aggregator? Yeah, so TLDR on what we do, we are a crypto data aggregator, as you mentioned. What does a crypto data aggregator mean? means that we collect information and data surrounding cryptocurrencies. On CoinGecko right now, there are 13,000 cryptocurrencies listed, and we mainly display the information on the coins such as the price, the market cap, the trading volume, where is it traded, and a bunch of different metrics as well. We are integrated into 500 different exchanges, both centralized and decentralized exchanges. That's how we get the pricing information. We get the price feeds from the exchanges and then we kind of do a volume weight. Uh, we exclude our liars and then do a volume weighted average price for each coin. And then we have a team internally that also does evaluation for the circulating supply for each coin so that we can calculate the market cap for each cryptocurrency. So when, when you say that you're integrated in like 500 plus exchanges, I, I don't know what exchanges necessarily you're integrated with. I'm just throwing one out there, like Coinbase, for example. When we see Coinbase listing their price, they're getting in touch with aggregators like yourself to provide that. And I guess you're, I don't know how you get it. Is that from on-chain data and monitoring? Yeah, so it depends where the token is traded, really. So for example, if it's a centralized exchange like Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and so on, these exchanges have an API which we connect and collect the basically price and trading volume and display them on CoinGecko. But if the token is traded on a decentralized exchange like 
Uniswap, for example, uh, or SushiSwap for that matter, what we do is we actually read the on-chain data and then basically all the trades that happen on the blockchain and then basically display them on the CoinGecko. It's a bit of a technical trick over here. We actually run a second product called GeckoTerminal.com and basically that product reads all on-chain DEX trades where we have over a million tokens tracked over there, including tokens that have very low liquidity and very low volume. And basically the API from Gecko Terminal is powering CoinGecko and that's how we display prices for decentralized exchanges. Gotcha. I actually feel like in my head, I had it backwards. So now I understand how you're monitoring all the exchanges and kind of coming up with that aggregate price. I feel like I've heard about arbitrage trading before, but I mean, it's never something I've personally looked into, but I know people have definitely made fortunes off of it sometimes, but is that still a thing today? Like arbitrage trading for tokens on different exchanges or is because of really aggregators and everyone being on the same page now that's happening less and less? I would say that arbitrage trades still take place, but it's mainly done by market makers and the big boys these days. It's probably harder for a small-time guy to kind of go in and find an arbitrage trade because it's just getting more competitive. I guess there are two ways for arbitrage trades to take place. One is the fiat arbitrage trade. So, And this was probably done very well by the Alameda guys, Sam and his crew. Like, There was a kimchi premium in Korea at one point and then he was buying... Bitcoin from the US and basically selling it in Korea and kind of repeating it basically because of the, the spread with, uh, between Bitcoin and the fiat pricing. But they also arbitrage trade between crypto crypto tokens as well. And you can sort of imagine like a triangle arbitrage trade, like token A, you said token B, and then token C trades token A and then kind of repeat it again. And they also kind of trade where you could imagine like because of the existence of AMMs such as Uniswap and SushiSwap that trades also on centralized exchanges, you could sort of imagine like trades typically, the prices typically move quicker on centralized exchanges such as Coinbase, for example. And then someone needs to arbitrage the prices on a decentralized exchange like an AMM on Uniswap. So there are traders out there that basically moves the market and arbitrage those differences, small differences in prices on the DEXs. And as we get into the multi-chain future, every single DEX and every on every single chain will present an opportunity for a trader to come in and, and ensure price efficiency across all the DEXs and across all the chains. Hmm. Definitely going to have some multi-chain questions in a bit, but uh, we'll get there in a little. But I want to still peel apart some of my thoughts and questions around CoinGecko, but appreciate that arbitrage explanation. Coming back to you and CoinGecko, why was this like data aggregator and research kind of focus your mission when getting into Web3? You know, what, what drew you to that? Yeah, so I first got into the Bitcoin in 2013 and the original idea was it's a sovereign money. You have full control of the money. Nobody holds it on behalf of you and nobody can take it away from you once you have that money. But as I got into the crypto space deeper and I studied the benefits of decentralized energy and blockchain technology, I saw a lot of opportunities that smart contracts present itself and a lot of them are sort of encapsulated right now with the growth of DeFi and NFT. And with that vision in mind, I kind of saw that back in 2013, 2014, together with my co-founder TMD, we kind of foresee a future where 
anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So we can sort of imagine a future. There will be millions of tokens representing anything and everything that we can sort of imagine in the world. Because if you think about it, the internet as we know it right now sort of encapsulates our entire life and everything and anything that we do sort of revolves around the internet. There's no way to live life without the internet these days. And sort of imagine blockchain technology is going to be the same case as well in the future. Just like how internet powers every application right now, the tech sector is kind of a misnomer because every company is a tech company these days. Same thing will happen as well. Blockchain technology will power anything, everything on the underlying layer for applications in the future. People will be using blockchain without even realizing it. There will be millions of tokens. And this is where CoinGecko comes in. When you have millions of tokens out there, like it's just going to be a very confusing world trying to make sense of all these tokens out there. And we want to be this place. We want to be the infrastructure to help people, ordinary folks out there, make sense of this future and then help you understand the prices and the volume and the trading liquidity for all these tokens out there, a one-stop shop to kind of make sense of all this data out there in this crazy new blockchain world. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that that quote, everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized because I actually saw, I think you tweeted it this week or last week and I wanted to ask you about it. I mean, if we're going to have every application powered by blockchain technology. And I guess that does that mean there every application has like a token associated with it? Are people going to be having to keep track of hundreds of tokens in their wallet? Or is that kind of all also going to be falling to the background and maybe only some applications you actually track token price for? Uh, I guess it really depends on the individual, whether you want to track the token prices or not. I sort of imagine that you know, as we play games these days, Web2 games, Web2 apps, for example, we are collecting all kinds of points, for example, or buying in-game assets. So in-game assets can be represented as NFTs and centralized points, like for example, Reddit points can be represented as fungible tokens, for example. Well, we may not really care about the price. I mean, at this point in time, the in-game assets, the, the fungible token, the, the centralized points, they're pretty hard to trade for real world dollars, for example. But in the future, these centralized points, these in-game assets, they will be represented as fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. Whether we choose to keep them as it is or choose to sell them for something more tangible, for example, a US dollar or Bitcoin or ETH up to us, this technology allows for the trading of all these assets. And if we care about the, the prices of these things, then there is a market that is readily available for us to trade these tokens. But it doesn't mean that we have to. And I, I always like to quote the Reddit example. Reddit, I think, is one of the most interesting Web2 company that is playing a role in Web3. And if you take a look at some of the experiments that they're running, some of the Reddit community points are starting to be tokenized and represented as tokens on the Arbitrum network. And their avatars are being represented as NFT collectibles uh, being minted on the Polygon blockchain. Yeah, I saw the avatars, didn't realize the points were also getting uh, moving to the crypto world. So very cool that they're experimenting with that. I think you mentioned too on Twitter that we are about to or we just hit 1 million different tokens in the crypto ecosystem. And I'd be curious, you know, how many it took, what, 10 years to get to this point? How many tokens do you think we'll have by the end of 2023 next year? 
Oh, that's a pretty hard question to answer, but, but I should make a guess. So there's tokens listed on CoinGecko and there's tokens listed on Gecko Terminus. So again, I guess you can think of it as CoinGecko taking on a curated approach where our team basically goes around and manually evaluates every token before listing them. What this means that a token must have a certain level of liquidity and trading volume and must pass some checks such as those obvious scam checks, for example. And Gecko Terminal takes on a non-curated approach because it reads every single token on the blockchain. It currently tracks over 61 layer 1s and layer 2s. It automatically reads and tracks every single trade, including tokens that could be spam, could be scam, have very low liquidity and trading volume. So on Gecko Terminal, there are over 1 million tokens already. Obviously, I think 70% of all the tokens listed are probably those that have less than $1,000 in liquidity. And if I were to fathom a guess, I guess is probably by the end of next year, there may be 2 million tokens listed on Gecko Terminal and maybe about 20,000 tokens on CoinGecko. Wow. So that's kind of like exponential growth we're about to kind of maybe get to the cusp of. So even if I made like a Josh social token that would be listed on Gecko Terminal, huh? Yeah, yeah. It will automatically be tracked on Gecko Terminal once there are at least one, when there's at least one, one trade. And then if you meet some liquidity and volume requirements, you can apply for a listing on CoinGecko and, and it may be listed there as well. Very cool. I've been making it a goal of mine to experiment more with crypto native tools as a content creator and interviewing all these guests. I'm learning a lot and I feel like it's time to start experimenting with some of these actual tech pieces instead of just talking at the conceptual level. So I might have to make a social token and check it out on the terminal just for learning and education purposes too. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. And maybe, you know, a question, another question for you while we're talking about the tokenization of everything here is for People who are into NFTs and maybe even for people who aren't as much but are still listening to this right now, what's the value of tokenizing something that isn't yet? I mean, can you give an example of something that's not tokenized yet, but that you think will be in the future? I mean, next year in the next five to 10 years, just because right now we're, we've seen some experiments with real estate, you know, we've seen music and art and then the, some just digital things like game assets. But what else is going to be tokenized that isn't yet? Yeah. So I think you kind of mentioned some of the really obvious examples like real estate. I mean, any land titles, title deeds to like cars, for example. But I think digital identities are something that are not tokenized or not tokenized well yet. So I mean, obviously, unstoppable domains trying to do something like that with the domain name system. But if you think about it, there are a lot other, a lot of other ways of digital identity representing ourselves on the online world. For example, an email address is a sort of decentralized identity that may not really be tradable, for example. I mean, if I want Bobby at gmail.com, you know, someone who owns it may be willing to sell it, but there is no marketplace for that right now. It's the same for Instagram handles, instagram.com slash Bobby. I may want that. Uh, and there are people kind of trading these usernames on the black market or, or some market somewhere. But there is no liquid way of trading. So you could sort of imagine if Meta wants to create an NFT marketplace trading Instagram handles, they could kind of tokenize Instagram usernames as NFTs and allow for the trading of these usernames and they can collect like a 5% marketplace fee. So that is one quick way that they could do. So you could sort of imagine Facebook usernames Telegram sort of trying to do the same thing with Telegram naming system as well. That would be interesting. I remember 
having to buy the CoinGecko Telegram username from a squatter and uh, someone squatting on the Telegram marketplace. I mean, it wasn't the easiest thing. I had to find a way to find this guy and then kind of negotiated with him to kind of buy the CoinGecko handler. But identities such as this, which is important, obviously important for companies like us, having a liquid marketplace where people could buy and sell is kind of a useful thing for us to buy our, our digital identities. So I think that is something that would be pretty useful to be tokenized and, and tradable. For sure. Yeah, no, glad you're bringing up identity. I mean, it's obviously an unstoppable. That's one of the core use cases we're focused on here. And I could totally see a future where Facebook has its own, you know, tradable NFT usernames for across their socials. But hopefully we also get to a place where you can use your NFT domain as logins for dApps like that. I mean, an integration with a social giant like Facebook or Instagram would be massive for the whole crypto space. But uh, it, I definitely could see that coming since they've adopted collectibles on Instagram recently. So good thing to bring up there. Well, we're on the topic of NFTs. I know CoinGecko recently added support for tracking NFT prices across blockchains recently. And I'm kind of curious, how have you seen that shift in your business in terms of what data and information consumers want? after this NFT boom? Is it still primarily tokens are the focus? Or are you seeing that shift happen to be really more focuses on NFT prices now? I'm glad you brought it up. So I think historically, a lot of trading takes place with, in, in, with fungible tokens. So it started out with centralized exchanges and then you move on to decentralized exchanges. But I think sometime last year, we saw the NFT bull run take place and then suddenly all of a sudden people are trading NFTs like they are trading fungible tokens. I guess we could say that we were we at CoinGecko were a bit surprised. But I guess we, we, were, we knew the NFT is going to be big at some point, just didn't expect it to happen last year. So one of the things that we started doing this year is to actively start tracking the floor prices of the various NFTs in the market. At this point in time, we started tracking all the most of the major NFTs on multiple different chains, such as Ethereum, Avalanche, Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, and Clayton. We are looking to add NFTs trading on the Solana chain. And once we have that, we should be able to cover most of the NFTs traded in the major chains. I think there are multiple different facets uh, with regards to NFTs. Uh, obviously, the floor price is just one of the items. There are certain people that traits a certain kind of attribute on nfts and having that feature to filter a, a zombie punk for example would be pretty useful that's not something that we do uh, some people likes to see the rarity of nfts for example knowing how they are only like for example 10 zombie punks or eight punks would be pretty useful but that's not something that we have yet on CoinGecko. something that we should be looking at and hopefully we can add it in the future yeah, I mean, that's really more of like the open sea kind of focus, I'd say, versus yours right now. But interesting to hear that you're thinking about it. Are there any interesting takeaways that you've seen when diving into the data in terms of, I mean, are there certain chains that are growing faster than others? Or I feel like I hear a lot about how Solana has a really active NFT community and tons of transactions over there. Maybe the volume in a dollar perspective, is it as high, but the trading is much higher. Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, uh, Ethereum is the main chain for NFT trading at this point in time. 
But we do see some interesting activities happening on the Solana chain. I think the DGOTS guys are, are doing something really interesting over there. But I think in terms of volume, still quite a large gap to close with Ethereum, but something that we are monitoring very actively because there's quite a lot of trades happening on, on Solana. Yeah. And in terms of the NFT use case, is it still like PFP season in terms of what's hot? Or are you even seeing a different use case of NFTs being traded more? Or maybe that's something that you haven't quite started to analyze yet. We haven't really started analyzing or categorizing the NFTs yet, but I think PFPs are sort of like the first main use case for NFT collection projects. It's obviously one-of-one one NFTs, which are kind of artworks or photographs, for example, as well. But for collections, PFPs are interesting. I mean, some of them grant their IP rights. Some of them go for CC0, get like free access, anyone's free access to kind of print. But I think interesting projects as well. I'm starting to see more people building like kind of like private members clubs, kind of you can think of it as like proof, kind of helping, you know, like a members club and then they provide, provide research for users in their community, for example. Starting to see people trying to do that in real life meetups as well. There are a bunch of people trying to do that in Asia as well. So I think it's still pretty much an experiment. Obviously, some NFTs are game assets, for example, NFTs representing digital land or digital real estate, for example, or like XC Infinities. XCs are game assets or step and shoes. They are in-game assets represented as NFTs as well. So yeah, these are several use cases, obviously domain name or centralized identity as well. So there are a few different use cases for NFTs right now. It's interesting that you bring up membership NFTs as potentially being you know, a trend we see more of. I saw, I saw something recently talking about this concept called other places. And that's things like coffee shops or parks, just libraries, places people go to hang out outside of just their house. And because of the pandemic and just the shift of how I think people interact with working from home being something that is so much more common now than it ever was before, like where you find your other places, I think that's going to be a lot more on the internet. And in the form of like some of these membership groups. So how we see people use memberships to create more close knit communities for people to be on the internet instead of just hopping on Twitter or hopping on Facebook where you just, you're just in a newsfeed, right? You actually go somewhere where you can have a group. I, I do think that's going to be a rising trend as well. So, um, for sure. Very cool. We'll have to have to keep our eye out. And you can sort of imagine like library cards being tokenized and represented as NFTs, for example, you may want to have a library card or, or membership in this exclusive coffee chain, for example, where you get treated as a VIP. And one fine day, you're moving out of town and you don't really want this membership anymore. You can sort of sell it to your neighbor, for example, because these NFTs were easily transferable. Whereas at the moment, your web to you know, you can't really transfer them easily, just kind of goes to waste, for example. So there's all these things that can be done with NFTs. 100%. And when you are looking to sell it, you can track that price on CoinGecko, right? Or the coin terminal, the Gecko terminal. Yeah, of course. Yep. Well, talking about data more, so and from a maybe non-NFT perspective, are you seeing anything interesting in terms of the state of on-chain activity now compared to the last bear market? I saw something on Twitter a little while ago talking about how like the lows on Coinbase now are... 10x what they were in 2017. So even though we're still in a bear, we're still like orders of magnitude, more volume happening than what used to be. But I'm just curious, you know, are there any positive takeaways that you can share with people listening now, like that you've noticed during this bear market? Yeah, I don't have any exact numbers, but what I can share based on some of the numbers that I've seen is that P2 
peak to throw. So the peak for the current cycle was somewhat in November 2021 where Bitcoin hit $69,000 and Bitcoin is currently trading about $20K or so. So that's roughly an 80%, 85% falling price. Uh, I think metrics for all crypto companies across the board have sort of fell roughly 80 plus percent from 9-10 months ago from the peak in 2021. So we are currently pretty much in the, in the bear market. How long this bear market lasts, nobody will know. But based on historical precedence, we've kind of, this is my third bear cycle. The previous bear cycle came about in 2016 and about 2014. And bear cycles typically last anywhere between 18 to 24 months. But every time there's a bull cycle, the next bear, as you mentioned, the baseline for the new bear cycle is always higher than the baseline from the previous bear cycle because every bull cycle, a bunch of people will come in and although majority of them leave during the bear cycle, a certain percentage of them sticks around and kind of stay in this crypto ecosystem. And every cycle, more and more people kind of stay and make this their, their home, I suppose. And that's why the baseline is always higher compared to what it was the previous cycle three or four years ago. Gotcha. That makes sense. And you said 18 to 24 months is usually that bear timeline. How many months would you say into the bear we are right now? So I put the bear cycle at month 10 right now. So the previous cycle peak was in November 2021. And we are now in October. So that's about 10 months. Okay. All right. So we still got a little ways to go potentially from that kind of loose range of time. So I feel like that tracks what I've been hearing from some people that in my circle that I trust and from those kinds of predictions too. So very good. And another question I had just around data, and I don't, I don't know if this is ever something you've tracked, but from, it's more micro maybe, from like whale moves versus that whole, the whole market. Do you ever look into buys and sells from those whale kind of players in the market. And I'm kind of curious because I know they make they make headlines on Twitter, but do they actually move the needle when it comes to the overall price of a certain token? And maybe maybe for smaller tokens, it's the case and not bigger ones. We don't track whale wallets, but I do see other providers tracking them and they do move the market. So obviously on a smaller cap coin, it doesn't require as much dollar amounts to kind of move the market so moving up or moving down whereas if it's something like bitcoin or ETH, you require a lot more volume for example to move the market there are whales that kind of you know buys or buys them or sells them uh based on reason only known to them and they do move the market yeah okay good to know and then i also have a question on trust scores so i know on your site you provide trust scores for different exchanges and I think it's interesting because a lot of the exchanges I've ever used, I really always had a lot of confidence up until the Voyager and Celsius situation that happened earlier this year. So I want to know, were there any, you know, I wasn't tracking these trust scores for either of those exchanges prior to their collapse, but were there any warning signs for Voyager or Celsius before they went bankrupt that might have gotten caught in that trust score? Was that just an event that was impossible to foresee? So we don't track Voyager and Celsius on CoinGecko previously, mainly because those guys are mainly, to some extent, providers providing lending yields on their coins, or maybe they do have brokerage. So we only track exchanges and we don't track crypto brokerages. So if they do allow trading, those are mainly brokerages. So I can't speak based on data from CoinGecko, but the general rule of thumb is 
not your keys, not your coins. So anyone who's got like a large amount of money on Celsius or Voyager, you basically run the risk of the centralized provider going bust. And in this case, some people have learned the hard way that money that is stored on Celsius or Voyager is not actually theirs. And now they have to go through the bankruptcy courts to kind of redeem back some money, which is pretty much an unfortunate incident for everyone who's been stuck in that situation. Yeah. So, okay. And maybe I never realized there's a difference between an exchange and brokerage from some of these providers. So are you, does that mean that Coinbase isn't actually doing any trading on the assets that they hold? They're simply storing them. Am I tracking that right? Coinbase has an exchange. Coinbase has a brokerage and exchange. So we track the exchange that Coinbase has. So basically for centralized entities, if you see an order book, the exchange run, that's typically a market that they make and we track the trades happening on the exchange. That's probably the difference in Coinbase Pro and Coinbase. That's right. Coinbase Pro is probably, from what I'm understanding, the exchange. And then Coinbase, which most, maybe more consumers, the average consumer is familiar with, that's probably the brokerage. And so you're tracking the exchange. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And that'll be, I guess that's a learning experience for me too, something to keep an eye out for since I wasn't differentiating those two in my head. Okay, well, helpful to walk through there. Now, I think my last question before I dive into some unstoppable and maybe identity-focused questions for you is, why is it important for a data aggregator to be viewed as independent. You know, I know that coin market cap is owned by Binance and that might skew its independence at, le- at least in terms of how they're projecting prices. And so, yeah, what's what's your take on the importance of being independent there? Yeah, so CoinGecko is a self-funded business. My co-founder and I bootstrapped this business from 2014 and we never received any external funding from any, any investors. Whereas our competitor, CoinMarketCap, as you mentioned, has been purchased by Binance. And some of the things that they've done immediately after the acquisition, they kind of made a few things. They kind of made Binance the number one exchange on CoinMarketCap. Some of the prices were not so really accurate. At one point, they placed the BNB token as a DeFi token, and even though it was a centralized exchange token. So a lot of people were not convinced or not, were not happy with the kind of decisions that CoinMarketCap make. And they have a, a larger overlord, which is Binance, and it is Binance's intention to sort of portray themselves in a better light to kind of drive more users to the exchange, uh, whereas we don't have that problem. And we don't have to answer to any exchange over here because we are independent. And that's kind of an important trait for data aggregator. Yeah, makes sense. Very cool too that you all didn't take any funding at this point. I mean, that's, I feel like we just got out of a season in crypto where everyone was getting funding. So uh, congrats to y'all for surviving this long, self-funded. Well, let's talk about Unstoppable Domains a little bit. And I believe that CoinGecko is an investor in Unstoppable too. So that's very cool. And we talked about data aggregation and its importance for crypto and, and trading, be able to see the price. I feel like Unstoppable, in terms of how we look at NFT domains, is almost a data aggregator for your Web3 identity, if I can stretch that association there. But why do you see value in NFT domains? You mentioned it a little bit earlier in terms of usernames on socials, but really for that Web3 identity, data, your on and off chain associated to your NFT domain, the user experience, what's eye-catching for you there? 
there's so many things representing ourselves in the digital realm these days. A lot of them, one way or another, a form of identity for us. And as I mentioned, all these identities, they're very centralized. There is no way for us to kind of trade or sell or have control of our identity. Having a decentralized way of controlling our identity is an interesting method. And I think there are multiple different approaches to building upon a decentralized identity. And I think the unstoppable domains is just one of the approaches that are being built upon to kind of bring us to the Web3 version of decentralized identity. Obviously, the hard part with decentralized identity is integration and usage. Uh, the provider that has the largest usage, the largest network effect will probably have the largest market share and we have the largest demand. And I think, I think UD has, has some sort of, uh, of some sort of advantage. Obviously, there are multiple different competitors in the space. I think the verdict is still out there on whether this will be a winner-take-all market or kind of an oligopolistic market where there will be a few key players in the space. It's hard to imagine this being a winner-take-all market in a sense that just like how they are you know, using names for Facebook, Telegram, Twitter, and so on, I think there will be the, the same case as well in the decentralized identity space. And there will be multiple different use cases for multiple different decentralized identity. I think each player will have to find their own unique niche use cases and, and kind of build upon those advantages that they have. So I think it's very interesting. And we're starting to see like every single layer one chain's building its own identity as well. We have on Ethereum, there's ENS, and on Solana, there's Solana Name Service, and uh, Avalanche, Tezos, and so on. It's quite interesting seeing how every single chain is building their own decentralized identity, which makes sense because like, representing a wallet in a string of zero X addresses isn't really very human-friendly. And it's the same for internet, right? I mean, we don't go around typing, hey, we see my website on this IP address, 51.43. whatever, right? Everybody goes like, Google.com, Facebook.com, CoinGecko.com, for example. We don't really see that in the, in the wallet identity yet, but maybe people at some point we will choose. I think what's going to happen as well is uh, large providers integrating with decentralized identity and kind of making this more mainstream. So I think Coinbase has done some interesting stuff. They're kind of giving out ENS names for for everyone creating subdomains on there. I think Argent has something similar as well. I think every single provider may kind of in bring up something along that line while integrations with uh, larger players. So I know you guys have done some with certain wallets as well. And everyone who's created a blockchain.com wallet, for example, I believe has a UD domain, for example. I think it's just a matter of time. All these things going to go mainstream. We will be representing our wallets via human readable forms, I suppose. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that take from you in terms of you feel like if we're all going to have a crypto wallet, then we're all going to need a NFT domain. And what provider that is, more up for discussion than the fact that NFT domains are going to be something that is mainstream. I think that's one of the most important NFT use cases that we're going to see over the next couple of years for sure. But one thing to your point of seeing a lot of different L1 chains starting to come up with their own naming services, it's interesting to see. Because if we do have a multi-chain world, which it seems like is something that you're tracking specifically by making sure that you're following all the different chains across NFTs and whatnot, that's not the most user-friendly way to have 
a name that can only work on a certain chain, right? So that's one of the reasons that I, I like the decision at Unstoppable to be chain agnostic and just it integrated the ability to work with Solana. Obviously, we work on Ethereum and Polygon. So seeing that support expand, I think, will be a big differentiator for us, for sure. And you are correct. We are working with a lot of wallets to provide free NFT domains when you sign up, blockchain.com being one of the uh, the standout examples right now. Well, thanks for that breakdown, Bobby. I want to ask a community question. I threw a question out on Twitter, and the one that I got was actually kind of unstoppable focused, but they said, does CoinGecko have any portfolio tracking features planned, maybe even using a lookup through an unstoppable ID, or you can expand that to be really any naming service ID too. But I thought that was an interesting question to ask you. Yeah, we have a portfolio tracker. So it's coingecko.com slash portfolio. But at the moment, the portfolio kind of is a pretty manual way of entering the amount of coins that you have bought or sold with the price associated with it. We don't really have a portfolio where you can kind of key an address or a UD domain and it kind of searches the balances for that particular wallet. That's something that we are thinking, but we haven't built it yet. Cool. Well, I know that the uh, Unstoppable fam would love to see a feature like that on, on CoinGecko, so I'm just going to throw it out into the world for you. Well, awesome. Let's do our one, two, web three. I got three rapid fire questions for you before we end the pod. The first one is who's an influential crypto creator, entrepreneur, collector who's really inspired or educated you? So I would go with this OG creator called Andreas Antonopoulos. So he's one of the Bitcoin advocate. And I had the good opportunity of listening to him speak in UCL, I think in 2015 or so. And I think he has single-handedly done a lot to bring Bitcoin to the masses in his easy to understand way to in explaining crypto and mainly Bitcoin at that point in time. For sure. Yeah, definitely listened to him on a, a few podcasts and talks. What's your favorite NFT? I would say Moonbirds at the moment. Yes, I have a Moonbird myself. It's my PFP on Twitter right now. Are you a Moonbird holder too? I am, I am. Nice. What's one of your traits that you've got on your Moonbird, unless you want to keep it kind of anon and low-key? I kind of keep it low-key. I mean, I just bought a flaw, so I didn't really study too hard on the various traits. But I thought I thought the Moonbirds, got a, they have an interesting community, and I kind of keep an active eye on their Discord. Yeah. So, okay. Now I just got to ask a Moonbird question since I'm a holder and I'm interested. I had a Mutant Ape. I had an, a Bored Ape too at one point, but now I'm Moonbird's holder and it's feel like that's a community I'm going to hold for the long term. What's the differentiating thing that you think is going to make the Moonbirds and the Proof ecosystem stand out over the long run? I feel like that's just a, a question every Moonbird holder is curious on your answer. I really appreciate the community research reports that they put out in their Discord and I look forward to receiving it every day from the team. So that, I think that's quite an interesting thing. And I know the team's kind of building in this bear market and I think what they're doing is something interesting, trying to engage a community. I think the nesting feature is pretty interesting as well. I think they are one of the first to kind of put out the nesting feature and it kind of, it allows you to tell who are your active members of the community i like their ethos that they put out that you know when you do an airdrop you shouldn't be airdropping those that have that are holding the token at a particular point in time but you know kind of look back in the history and see who has nested that nft for the longest period of time because these are the guys that have been with the community for a long period of time and i think 
time holding NFT is an equally important metric compared to just a particular snapshot for NFTs. And I think these guys got it right. So yeah, that's kind of why I like Moonbirds. Love to hear it. Yeah, I love to hear it. I'm a day one nester myself. So uh, nice. I'm, I fall into that category of community members that, that believe in the project. Sweet. Well, third question for you. Last question in five years. What's the craziest thing you think we'll be doing in the metaverse that people just aren't thinking about yet? You know, really looking for that trend kind of future prediction here from you. So, yeah, I think a lot of experiments have taken place on what the metaverse will be. And it could be very mundane things like having our meetings on the metaverse, for example. You know, we could be doing this podcast in the metaverse. I could be in, a, in my Moonburst avatar and you could be in a Moonburst avatar as well or your mutant ape or something else. Or we could be, we, maybe we have an avatar that looks like us on the metaverse or maybe on Facebook's metaverse or, or someone else's metaverse. Who knows? I think we will be seeing a lot of multiple metaverses in the future and We'll be spending a lot of time on the metaverse. I think at this point in time, the technology isn't quite there yet. It may be quite slow to load on certain metaverses. Like, but I think we'll be doing a lot of things. Like, We'll be taking meetings. People are starting to get married on metaverse. People are going to spend like your Friday evenings in the metaverse. I mean, having a drink with some random stranger on the internet or your, your close friends instead of like heading to the bar to just drink. I think a lot of our mundane activities will probably take place on the metaverse. We're playing a lot of games there as well. Nice take for sure. I think that goes back to that other place comment I made earlier, right? It's just finding places to hang out in, in the metaverse for sure. I've been trying to get in touch with some guys at uh, Spatial. They do some metaverse kind of VR, AR, telepresence stuff. And I think it'd be cool to host one of these pods in there for sure. So have to try to make that happen. Well, Bobby, thanks so much for the time today. Very insightful interview. Learned a lot myself about data, what it means to be a data aggregator, and really what you're all up to at CoinGecko. So wish you the success. Can you tell everyone listening where we can find you and, and keep in touch with, after they listen to the episode? Yeah, for sure. So I'm Bobby Ong on Twitter, and you can also follow CoinGecko and Gecko Terminal on Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, Make sure to give them a follow. And thank you, everybody, for listening to The Unstoppable Podcast, coming out with a new episode every single week with experts, entrepreneurs, creators, and Web3. If you liked today's episode, would really appreciate a subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. And with that, I'll see you in the metaverse. Peace out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.